Hey, I'm Justin Anderson, lead pastor at Icon Church, and I'm super thankful that you would join us here on our podcast. For the next four weeks, we're doing something just a little bit different. Our sister church, Doxa in Bellevue, does an annual summer series called Voices, where they bring in outside communicators uh, to bless the congregation during the summer months. Well, this year, we get to join with them. And so for the next four weeks, instead of hearing from me, you're gonna hear from Jackie Hill Perry, from Mark Sayers, John Tyson, and John Mark Comer. I could not be more excited for this, and I know this is going to be a blessing to you. Well, it's wonderful to be with you. I love the city of Seattle, such a beautiful city, and I've really enjoyed visiting there. And I must say though, that this is a lot easier on me being able to speak to you in this way without having to do that flight across the Pacific where sometimes I'm like awake for 30 hours door to door. Actually, where we're filming right now is my kitchen. We have been live streaming our services from our church building, but uh, two days ago, some demolition work began on a building just behind ours. And we've been waiting by the hour for that noise to stop and the rumbling, which is not conducive for good live streaming. And uh, we basically realized that it's not gonna stop. It just keeps going. So we have decamped to my kitchen. So welcome to my house. And this is a lot shorter journey for me of about 20 steps to be with you today, which I am enjoying. But I'm also enjoying this because this is my chance to speak to you about a real passion of my heart, which is the passion of renewal and the belief that God actually wants to move amongst his people. And in a sense, that, that word renewal, that concept that actually God could be moving us into an awakening seems counterintuitive when we look at what's often happening in our news cycle where when we look at this year, this year has been filled with so many different events that actually bring us great fear and anxiety, which create tension in the air. But I wanna to speak to you how actually today, I believe that it's actually at moments like this that God can and does move. The passage that we just heard from, from the book of Exodus, comes at the end of the book of Exodus. The whole book of Exodus is about a transitional time where people are leaving an old phase where the people of God found themselves in bondage in Egypt. Then they go into this wilderness, this in-between, this transitory liminal space between the old and the new. And at the end of the book of Exodus, there's this transition for the people of God as they're about to enter into the promised land. But also there's this transition for Moses who's not going to enter into the promised land, the leadership of Israel is actually about to be handed across. But what we see in that passage, and I want to dig deeper into this soon, is actually God brings renewal, both individually and corporately, at moments of great transition. Coming to you from Melbourne, where we are here in the eastern side of Melbourne, this was a place which really came to sort of age. The city that I am in, the city of Whitehorse here on this side of town was actually a city which, which was a deep forest before it got built into a city. And a handful of people came here, some from England, one, a freed African-American slave who was given a ticket to the other side of the world by some Quakers by the name of Anthony Smith. And this small group of people, like 11 or 12 people in this deep forest on the other side of the world, began to join together to create something new. All of them 
joined around this cultural memory that they had gotten of being the group of people who God had in previous decades used as part of revival around the world. They were all Methodists. And so this group from different countries joined together and on the front porch of someone's house created this Methodist little house church. And in many ways, as we've been going through COVID-19, I've been thinking about that small group of people who, in a sense, were deeply isolated. They didn't have a, a pastor with them. They just had, simply had to gather together as this new formed people of God on the other side of the world from anything that they knew. And what they did is they began to pray and worship together, this diverse group. Then what they did after that was then they started to build institutions. They got a school, they got a roads board, which built roads. They had different community organizations. And out of this small group of Christians from the United States, from England, the city which I live in, this large sort of group of people now from all over the world here on the east side of Melbourne, that is their origins. That is the fruit of a time when God moved in the 18th century and the 19th century, as the entire world was in this moment of profound transformation and transition. That movement of Methodism actually went back to a man called John Wesley, who understood that the time he was living in was one of great tumult. It was one of great change. The old order was being upended. And how people understood themselves and their place in the world is that people had grown up in the system which had gone all the way back to the Middle Ages, that you lived in a parish. People were peasants who lived on the land and you were born into a place, you grew up in that place, that defined who you were, your name, everything about you, and you barely lived, uh, so left where you lived. But then as technology began to disrupt in the 18th century, as cities began to grow, the system began to break down. It went from this medieval world to this industrial world. And there was a lot of people who were left behind. And there was a lot of pain and injustice at the same time as economic growth and development all mixed in together. And John Wesley saw that the old way of understanding the world had actually broken down. And he realized that he had to go beyond the old boundaries, the parish boundaries. And his famous statement is, the world is my parish. And he created a new way of being the church inspired by God as God came into his life in this incredible way for the industrial age. And so the story of where I live here is the story of people who had that cultural memory, whether they be someone who is working class from England or someone who's a freed African-American slave. That history of renewal and revival was this cultural DNA in them. Now, I believe we're living in a similar shift, just as Wesley lived in that shift from the medieval world really into the industrial world, the beginning of the modern age, we're living in a similar transition. And we can miss this transition when we are just looking at the crises that we're experiencing. The story of COVID-19 in the world, the story of race in America that's, that's bubbling up to the surface in such profound ways. There are actually events that are happening in the, in, in the foreground of a bigger background change. As we shift from an industrial age built around institutions which form us and show us who we are and which we get our markers in the world, around which power is centered into this new world which is flattened which is a network. 
The fact that Seattle became one of the places first affected by COVID-19 in the United States is actually testament to this reality. Why? Because there were people flying on planes in this global network from China, from Wuhan to Seattle. And if you look at the places first hit in the United States by COVID-19, it's your hub cities that are part of this global network, which is changing everything about the world. The other thing about uh, Seattle is, you know, you, you have Microsoft, you have Amazon, you are connected into the digital network, which is radically changing the world. And at this moment, this is actually changing everything. It is a profound shift and it's a disorientating, a disorientating shift. And people felt that in Wesley's day and people are feeling that in our day. But what Wesley saw, what Jonathan Edwards saw, was that actually in the midst of this dislocation and transition, there was an opportunity for those who listened to the Lord and like Moses spoke to God face to face. So I just want to just quickly fill in some of the changes for you in this world before we jump back into that scripture. One of the great changes in what we're experiencing now in the world is that what networks are doing is networks, social media, the way that our entire sort of way that as peoples we now process through events like race, like, like what's happening in the culture is now profoundly networked. In the old sort of industrial age, there was this top-down way of talking about what was true, what was not, what was moral, what wasn't. If you think about the incredible sort of moral place that the American broadcaster Walter Cronkite had in the American imagination, he was a man who was an institution and was seen as the gatekeeper to the media. He was the man who announced on television that the president, John F. Kennedy, had been shot. And it was at that moment which the story or the nightmare of that moment became true. When Walter Cronkite went to Vietnam and actually said that he could not see the war in Vietnam being won, that was the moment when the White House realized that they'd lost the public. One man, one institution had the ability to set the agenda. That's the world that many of us have grown up in. But a whole new world is actually emerging where what is happening is no longer is a sense of what is the moral right thing to do is set by institutions, by churches, by government, by social institutions. Increasingly, it's actually determined by this network where we see online opinions changing, tribal battles happening, and this is profoundly changing how we see the world. That what actually happens is, this is moving at an incredible lightning speed. And we see the power of hashtags, of memes, we see our friends and even our churches sometimes torn apart by this new way of relating to each other as the network begins to determine what the consensus is of a country or a people or a city. Martin Guri says this, the mirror in which we used to find ourselves faithfully reflected in the world has shattered. The great narratives are fracturing into shards. What passes for authority is devolving into a, the political war band and the online mob, that is to the shock troops of left and right. Deprived of legitimate authority to interpret events and settle factual disputes, we fly apart from each other, or rather, we flee 
into our own heads and we get exhausted. My inbox on my social media is filled with people sending me messages from the United States telling me how utterly exhausted they are, how confused they are, how they feel like they look at these two tribes online and they don't fit into either. And the desperate question is, what is God saying in the midst of this? How do we actually move forward when things progress and change and rapidly turn over so quickly? Networks are changing how we see morality. The second things that networks do is actually they're changing the nature of power. That all of a sudden power is draining out of governments. Power is draining away from those who traditionally held it. And it's actually going down into this much flatter structure. And there's really positive things to that. Injustice is being exposed. But also there's a sense that if you're someone who is leading, there's a sense at the moment that's actually a lot easier to tear down than it is to build up. Moses Name, the Venezuelan writer, says this, in the 21st century, power is easier to get, harder to use, and easier to lose. And we see the church, particularly in the United States, which has been traditionally this, this place which has had influence and authority and power. But that's draining. COVID-19 has even accelerated that. As pastors who had a sense of place and purpose in a church and a people gathered, all of a sudden that's disappeared and there's been this great diffusion of power down into the people. This is radically changing the world. Networks bring incredible possibilities. Amazon can send packages from Seattle to my house. There are books I have bought which have made that journey. In a sense, what it's doing is distributing information and opportunity and new things across the world where all of a sudden now we're more connected than we've ever been. The world is becoming closer and what was always far is actually always near. But there's also a sense that this also brings a weakness. The fact that the almost the entire global network has been shut down because of this tiny thing only seeable on a microscope that's come out of Wuhan shows you that the more connected you are, the more unstable you are, and actually more vulnerable you are. And whether it's COVID-19 or a feeling that now everything is political and you're constantly burdened by the weight of the world, not knowing how to respond to things, a seemingly anger and frustration grows all around you, shows us that networks inherently are unstable. And as the world has become more connected, we've also become more conflicted. Networks tear down existing structures. They disrupt. They build new sources of power like social media giants, offer new opportunities. But you live in constant anxiety, constant frustration, trying to find yourself in a constantly changing environment. Now, this is all a challenge. This is all disorientating. But the good news that I want to bring for you is that actually, when we look at the history of renewals and revivals and awakenings, those moments where God turns up individually or corporately, they come at moments of crises. What a crisis does is it explodes the myth that we can do this in our own strength, whether it's an individual or as a nation. 
COVID-19 has profoundly humbled the superpowers of the world. Profoundly. We've actually seen smaller countries in the South Pacific, in Africa, in Asia, outperform in COVID response, some of the world's biggest nations. We have seen large churches, large corporations, in a sense, brought to their knees by this tiny thing, showing us that many of our myths and ideologies that we're actually in control are actually exactly that myths. And what we see in the history of God moving is that the people of God open up this door of opportunity when we realize that we can't do this. This networked world, this changing consensus that's moving at a rapid pace where today's right opinion could be canceled tomorrow, where you have to come up with all these ideological responses to so many different things. The disruption that we're in, which we're struggling with now, could be disrupted next week. In Australia, in January, we were dealing with climate change. We had, people had masks on in Melbourne because of the thick, acrid smoke from some of the biggest wildfires we'd ever seen in history. Then not long after that, that was disrupted by, we thought we were going to go to World War III with Iran, with the shooting of Qasem Soleimani in Iraq. It was going to be war with Iran. That then got disrupted by COVID, which in the United States has been disrupted in a sense by the whole issue coming out of the George Floyd video and the issue of race. And who knows, there could be a disruption around the corner. How do you live like this? How do you pursue justice? How do you pursue righteousness? The fact is we can't do it in our own strength. These crises are reminding us that we are merely humans and we fall short of the glory of God. And when you realize individually or corporately that you can't do it, you're forced into a position where on your knees you say, God, I can't do this. Please take the reins. Please, God, do something. And every revival, every renewal, every personal turnaround begins when someone gets to that point. John Wesley, who started that revival, actually got to that point. He was a failed missionary in the United States, returning home in his disgrace, had this bad relationship with someone who he thought he was engaged to. And he comes across and on the boat on the Atlantic is in a storm and realizes he has no trust in even that God's going to save him properly and sees this humble group of German Moravians praying and realizes this failed missionary doesn't even have the faith that they have. He goes back to London with his, his tail between his legs at the end of himself. And it's there that God meets him. And in a small gathering with these Germans, these migrants in London, his heart is strangely warmed. And out of that personal renewal, a corporate renewal flows. Personal renewal leads to corporate renewal. And the networked world is generating crises. And that's actually a good thing because it's shaking us out of our complacency and comfortability. And in the crisis, we can find Christ. And in a network, there is also this possibility. That first group of people who settled in this area that I spoke about, 
They actually were people who found themselves on the other side of the world. They were sent here because God used the network of globalization in the 18th and 19th centuries, which sometimes was a channel of injustice through things like slavery and inequality, is that God used that in this incredibly subversive way where the gospel went out and the people who often got the gospel in its purest form were those who were at the bottom of the social ladder. Slaves in the Caribbean, in the United States, the working class in Britain, poor people in Ireland, convicts here in Australia, people who didn't have much, but those connective points of the global network then became just like in the first century when the gospel went out across the Roman roads. Even though the Rome was preaching a different gospel that Caesar was the son of God, the kingdom of God hacked the network, turned it upside down, and the gospel went out and God changed the world. And I believe that opportunity is for us now. We are seeing people jumping onto our live streams all around the world. At the moment, the Alpha course is going crazy. And one of the groups that are jumping onto Alpha courses, which is an evangelistic course that's coming to the UK, are many people in Muslim countries who all of a sudden can jump onto an evangelistic course that they could not do before. And they can do that in the safety of their own homes, where if they went public, they would suffer persecution. At this moment of globalization and technological expansion, God is using this incredible moment to again extend his kingdom. And what cuts through in a loud networked age of anger and frustration? What cuts through is not platform. Platform is just a bunch of followers. What the human heart is looking for is something which connects at that deep level. And what cuts through is spiritual authority. Something in you, which people can't recognize in the world, which is God, which is Christ in you, working through you. And this is where I just want to jump back to that Exodus passage, just to pick out one really key thing. The flashback, I think, is used here, just before we enter into the promised land, to remind the reader of what is driving this thing forward. There is this big corporate thing happening, this transition. But we see that Moses gets this distance from the opinion and the ranting and the frustrations and and the squibbles. Is that even a word? Quobbles? I'm making these words up. You probably just think they're Australian slang. But actually, these, 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 these bickering between people. And he gets out of the camp. And he goes to this tent of meeting, which is separate from the people. And he meets the presence of God face to face. We see Jesus doing this, getting up early and going to a quiet place. And what I love is this last line, the next person, the next person who then is going to lead the people of God into the promised land is Joshua. And just listen to this detail in verse 11. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp But his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. The next guy who leads out of the transition into the the promised land, the next person who moves into the awakening is the person who is being formed in the hidden place in the presence of God. I believe at this time in the United States that there are a bunch of Joshua's hidden, quiet, Hungry, humble, pursuing holiness. 
that actually out of this transitional moment in the midst of this crisis, crisis purifies, pressure creates diamonds. And I don't think all of you, but there are some of you watching today, watching this video, and God's been doing something in here. Your heart is breaking. You want justice. You want righteousness. You want God to work in your nation and in the world. And he's forming you. And he sees your faithfulness. Cry out to him. You cannot do this in your own strength. This is a moment of crisis, but crisis precedes renewal. Find your tent of meeting. Step away from the crowd so that you can return to the crowd and minister to the crowd with spiritual authority, which is what the world desperately wants. This is a moment, Doxa, a once in a lifetime shaping moment. The world is shaking. God wants to move again. Go for it. There are wonderful things that God wants to do. Be blessed. This teaching was recorded as part of our current sermon series at Icon Church. During our weekly gatherings, we move from the teaching into a time of response to reflect on and respond to the work of the Spirit. While we recognize it's hard to capture that in a podcast, we'd still encourage you to take a moment. Consider what the Spirit might be saying to you in response to what you heard. For more resources and details about how to join us on Sundays, visit iconchurch.org. As we say each week, Christ is all and we are His.